Good morning. How's everybody? Oh man, you look good. You look good too, Dale. Thank you. Let's just say if the game didn't go as well yesterday, I would not be looking as, I'm just kidding. I'd, I would still be filled with the joy of the Lord. Just not the joy of the Niners, but everything was good. Just want to remind you for those, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know that coming into this room is a transition for a lot of people, right? It's different. It's change. And I want to remind you a few things. Some of the things that we're trying to do in this part of our story is Calvary Church, where God has us. And where we're at is being a space where we can hear each other and where we all can see each other. So I understand there's change. I understand that certain things aren't the way we might be used to them. But also some things are, I think, more amazing than we've experienced before. And that's what we're going to keep pressing into. So just go with me and um, adjust and learn and be open. All right, that was really resounding there. I just want to remind you, that's what we're trying to do here. And it's good to see you all. We're in a very, I think, I think one of the most misunderstood or like you read this little parable or whatever's happening in this part of the story of Mark and you're like, I think Jesus was having a really bad day. I'm not sure how to answer this question if someone was like, what is he talking about? But to back up a little bit, right after Thanksgiving, Pastor Rob gave this message around when Jesus was being like confronted by the religious leaders in a public forum, in a public space around like washing your hands, cleansing your hands, the traditions of the Old Testament of cleansing before you're eating. It was kind of like he was calling them out. Like they're like, we're going to get people to turn on them. And it can be kind of exasperating, right? Jesus was human and God, but there's a human side of us that it, we get a little tired sometimes. And I don't know how and what you think of Jesus. Like, did Jesus ever get tired? Did he ever get frustrated? I would encourage you to read the Bible if that's your question. Because the answer is yes. He did get frustrated. He did get tired. And even this, he's saying these kinds of things. He's to, to the Pharisees, is like, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. That's a little like frustration. To the people, he yells out again. Jesus called to the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. If we read in Scripture and we just kind of read it flat, we're missing something. And I think even the hardest one, it, it, it's got to be hard to be opposed by high-ranking officials. It's got to be hard to be opposed by a crowd. But when we're not even understood by those closest to us, the ones we're putting our trust in, maybe the friends, maybe the family, those kinds of things, that's got to be even harder. There's a drain emotionally and physically from leading people, bringing people to a new place, navigating people's doubts, Navigating frustration, points of view, and skepticism, and it just pulls from us. But when it's in your own kind of inner circle, it can be even harder. And Jesus, with his disciples, after 
telling this parable. He says, after he had left the crowd and entered this house, his disciples asked him about the parable. And Jesus' response to them was like, are you so dull? Do I have to explain it again? One of the goals of my life is to never hear God say, are you so dull? Uh, the word really means like numb. Are you in a place of your life where new things you're just not letting in because you're okay with how things have been? And that could be for a long time, it could be for a short time, but that's how we get. I like things how they are, so that even the words of Jesus don't penetrate. Dallas Willard seems to sum up what Jesus is experiencing with people as he writes this. Our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general really want to hear it. Or we, or we want it only when we think we need it. Many just didn't want to hear or they didn't think they needed to listen to him. We're in a part of the story in the book of Mark that moves very quick. It's kind of almost like a pause, not a pause in action, but kind of a pause in the ministry. We're in Mark chapter 7. Pretty soon in the book of Mark, he starts to turn his mind and thoughts towards death and what's ahead of him. But there's this moment where he's like, man, I think I need a break. Seems to be longer than just one of those times on the mountain with God that we've read about. Right? Those moments where like, man, I need a morning off. Really seems like Jesus is like, I need, I need a little extra time. Author Ruth Haley Barton writes about how this can be for all of us. She writes, there are times when a leader's deepest longing is to hear a word from the Lord. Beyond the muddle of all our thoughts and ideas and brainstorming sessions, we long for an encounter with God that will penetrate all of that and bring some clarity to our situation. I really think Jesus was kind of in that moment. He's like, man, the crowds are against me. The religious leaders are against me. And I think I can handle that. But even the, my own people, those who are closest, they just, they just don't really want to hear it because they're pretty good with just how things have been. Or they're hoping something pretty different from me. In other words, Jesus is just taking a breath for a minute. And as he is doing this, he seems to find his way in another part, maybe in an ancient Airbnb that he found, away from the crowds. But then he has another interaction. Because it kind of seems like when Jesus shows up somewhere, people hear about it and they pursue him. They pursue him. You see, there are some people who are like, this is how I want my life to be. This is how I want my church to be. This is how I want my friends to be. This are, these are all the ways I want them to be. And then there's some people who are like, all I need is to be near Jesus. I, I'm not really that happy with how things are. It's a story 
that quotes Jesus as saying something, to be honest with you, sounds almost downright rude. That's why when we read it, we don't know what to do with it. And yet, this is a story, I believe, this is a story about the beauty of the gospel. This is a story that reveals the redemption plan for the world. And this is a story where someone really understands Jesus. It's some of the most confusing verses. It's almost impossible to understand. But let's give it a shot anyways. Let me read it to you. Jesus left that place, the place where he was confronted by the crowds, the group, the, um, even his disciples. Right? He left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. He says, first let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Let's pray. God, help us. God, help us in our understanding of what this is. God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open. May we be drawn to you, Jesus, like this woman was. In your name, amen. Some of you may read those verses and go, I got it. No, you don't. In this moment, I would even expect for you to question what I just said, if you remember. What did I just say? I said, this is a story about the beauty of the gospel. This is a story that reveals the redemption plan for the world. And this is a story where someone really understands Jesus. So let's just talk about it for a few minutes and see where it leads us. As some of you may know, or a lot of you may know, a majority of Jesus' time had been spent in the Jewish provinces, in the areas right around what we call the Sea of Galilee, and his ministry was drawing massive crowds to the point where he couldn't even move. And people were being drawn to him. And to put it plainly, Jesus was, I believe, exhausted physically and emotionally. He leaves the Jewish province at this time and went to a Gentile territory, a place called Tyre, to get some rest. It was about 35 miles away. We have just a little map about where it would have been. It's drawn towards the seaside, and there's some areas there that were actually quite profitable. Tyre was a unique place. I don't know what you think of when you're like, man, I need some downtime. I need a time to like rest and reflect. That's a unique place to go. 
because it was incredibly busy. A lot of businesses from the seaport. It had various and a lot of pagan temples where they had, even in the city, their own gods. It's kind of like saying, hey, I'm kind of tired and fatigued. Let's go to Vegas. It has that kind of feel where like the gods are different. The people are opposing. It's busy. It's a whole different place. His desire was us being in this private little home and don't tell anybody I'm here. But his hopes didn't really come true with that. There's this woman. She hears of his arrival and she is in a situation in her life where she makes her way boldly to him. This has to be, this has to be a highly emotional event. Matthew, when he writes about it, writes about it with a little more emotion to the fact where she seems to be barging her way into this house and his disciples are like, can we just get rid of her? It's that kind of event. She knows something, though. You see, this woman, as I mentioned, was a Greek born in Syria, Phoenician. Now, let me just, I'm always going to kind of mention these things. This would have jumped out to the original reader. And when you're looking at Scripture, one of the questions you always want to ask yourself or try to in understanding is like, what would the original people have understood? This phrase here was not just like, she's from Fresno or she, like, wasn't just like a geographical reference. It was a reference that she, wow, serious talking to me. Siri said, I didn't get that. Will you try again? Absolutely. Here we go. I'm just telling you. Syria Phoenicia, she, that was drawn, like she was like outside of the circle. And she knows that she has none of the religious, moral, and cultural credentials necessary to approach Jesus. But her daughter has an unclean spirit. She must have experienced so much embarrassment and shame about that. I'm pretty sure that people were like, your daughter's sick because that you're a bad mother. Probably something you did. I mean, for much less reasons, we drift into those areas, do we not? I'm a bad mother, I'm a bad father, I'm a bad friend. The shame of the world around some of those things that maybe not have been our thing at all. But those are the words that come in. Shame is a very heavy thing to face, and I will never, ever disregard it as something small. But feeling those things when we're less than, we have a variety of approaches to it. Either we feel the weight of it upon us. Another way of doing it is like, I deserve different than this. How do I approach this? And it's with that kind of thing that she goes towards Jesus. Even if she was involved in some way in this, she's not pursuing grace from the source of grace himself. See, at least through the lens of the crowd, this woman was someone who was in the margins. Margins exist in books. They exist so words don't fall off the page, if you will. A lot of times people write in the margins of a book their own little notes. They're not the part of the story. They're not really what's written. This is kind of people's observations. It's kind of out there. You kind of see them. I remember in college we have to do we had to do a lot of this uh, collateral I think they called it that sounds like a funny word collateral reading that sounds like you're dying or something 
But it was like this reading you had to do aside to go to the library. If you're young, there's this thing called the library. And they have books. And you look in this card catalog, which seems really archaic. And so you'd find this book. And so you would pull this book out. And somebody had read it before. And there was all sorts of things in the margins. Some of it helpful. Most of it was not. Like, I'm going to die if I have to keep reading this book. I don't know if you've ever bought a book that's used before. And it has quotes and stuff in it. Sometimes you're like, what was this person thinking? You see, it's things that are written in the margins, but they're not part of the story. So somebody who might be in the margins is, yeah, they're human. But they're not really feeling like they're a part of the story. Those kinds of things in margins happen because people push them aside for certain reasons. Tragic reasons. We see this happen all the time. And for you, you might be like, I don't even know what that's like. I would say, look for those people. Ask them if they feel like they're a part of the story or not. Our world has pushed people in the margins and their place is occupied by people who go unnoticed. But they're there. And what's really amazing is that when we pull back on the curtain of Jesus' life, if you really take a look at it, he knew what life in the margins felt like. He was born into the margins on purpose. He was pushed away. He was rejected by even his own closest friends who just continued not to get him. And he was in those spaces of margins. And I have to believe that he was a savior that's like, I'm always going to see people in the margins. You may have come this morning and maybe that's what you need to hear. Maybe you feel like you're in some kind of the margin. When we feel shame and blame from other people, we feel like we've been pushed to a margin. Maybe you feel unheard or unseen or untalked to. Or you feel like because of your family background, you feel like because of your ethnicity, you feel like because of your, how you grew up, there's all sorts of things that push us those places. And what I want to hear you hear this morning is that Jesus gets that because he existed there too. And he was drawn to people in those spaces. Part of our role as a church is to try to eliminate margins all together. That is one of the biggest reasons why I want all of us to see each other and to hear each other. Part of the move to this room was to try to eliminate any margins that people might be living in that call Calvary home. Because when we sit and don't talk and don't see each other, it's easy to slowly die in those margins. May that never be true for us, ever. And even though Jesus was in those spaces and he, people may have understood that people in the margins often struggle with accepting God's love. They feel like they're not worthy of it. They don't deserve it. They may not even believe they can be loved. If that's you this morning, it's going to take more than words for me to convince you of that. But from the bottom of my heart, I want to look at you in the eyes and I say, you are loved. You can be loved because you are made in the image of God and God's love comes first. But I understand that it's a journey. 
And this woman that she knows that in every way, according to the standards of the day, she was seen as unclean. She wasn't even seen as someone who could come close to Jesus. That's a whole nother level, right? You're like, you're not even worthy. But she enters the house without an invitation, falls down and begins begging Jesus to exercise the demon from her daughter. We can understand her angst, can't we? As a parent, like, I just want this for my child. This isn't one of those, coach, my kid didn't get to play in the game much this week. I'm mad at you. Okay, that's just a story of my own life, you know, those kinds of things. This is a Jesus. There has to be something different. In these moments, it doesn't matter if your personality is normally timid or bold. Desperation is an accelerant to all kinds of behavior, isn't it? Think about your life. When you feel desperate, that's an accelerant for all sorts of things, whether it's healthy or not, whether it's angry or joyful. And that's what she's feeling is a desperation as she comes to God. But this one led to courage, to cross boundaries, opinions, suspicions. This one led to the kind of faith that she wasn't drawn to just hoping, but she knew. This is when the story gets a bit strange to modern readers like us. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And then he says, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This is the part where you're like, what? This sounds like crazy talk. <laughs> On the surface, it appears to be an insult, an insult. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Back in the day, this is what they would call people who are unclean. You're just a dog. And in most, do they, and most dogs are like scavengers. They're wild. They're dirty. You see, we are a dog-loving society. Are we not? I was walking down uh, North Santa Cruz the other day, saw a baby carriage. I'm just convinced somebody is pushing their baby in the baby carriage. It was three dogs in the baby carriage. And I'm sure her husband was carrying a fourth and a baby Bjorn. And I'm like, we are a dog-loving society. If that's you, God bless you. You know your dogs have legs, right? I'm just kidding you. People are like, I'm offended by the pastor. Oh, okay. We are a dog-loving society. This wasn't necessarily a dog-loving society. But how can this be anything but insulting? And then I'm like, maybe Jesus was really just exhausted. Let's give him a pass. But let me try to explain this a little bit. Once again, it goes back to the original reader. What would they have understood in the original text? If I was to tell you a story, and I'm like, I was walking in the darkness, and this dog approached me. You might be like, what happened? If I was to say it this way, I was walking in the darkness, and this little dog approached me. You're like, oh, that's a little different, right? Like, what, did he bite you in the ankles? But then if I say to you, I was walking in the darkness, and this puppy came at me. You're like, oh, puppies. You're no longer afraid for me at all. Like if I'm up here going, it was the scariest night of my life, this puppy approached me. You would have been like, that's a little crazy, Dale. 
What's important to know is that when Jesus is telling this story, he uses a Greek word that's a diminutive form, which means a very small reference. It's like when you refer to someone as like, oh, you're my buddy. It's kind of this endearing. So Jesus at minimum is saying, little dog. Something that would have been led into the house. He may even be, say, puppy. So in a way, he says this. You know how families eat. First the children eat at the table, and afterward their pets eat too. It's not right to violate that order. The puppies must not eat food from the table before the children do. You're like, okay, this sounds a little bit better. Unless you hate puppies. You might need some help. Another thing, when there's a challenge in Scripture, you look for other places. You see, in the book of Matthew, in the same story, we see the author expand on this a little bit more. And I think it helps a little bit. Let me summarize it. There's an order of what Jesus came to do. And another piece that's so important, he's like, where am I in the story of where Jesus came to do? The first thing that he came to do was to show Israel that he was the fulfillment of all the scriptures that came before him. The fulfillment of the prophets, the priests, the kings, the fulfillment of the temple. And the second thing that he came to do was that, he, that after he died and resurrects, he immediately says to his disciples, go to all the nations. So he's saying there's this order. I've come to speak to my Jewish people who've been looking for me, but there's going to come this time where now he says, go. So through this metaphor, through this parable that he's telling this woman, he's wondering, I just, this is how I envision it. His disciples are around him. They are dull. I'm thinking he's going, I want to see if this outcast, this person who's in the margins of life, gets me more than them. Let's see. So he challenges her. There's an order here. I have to go to the Jews first. But this mother would not have it as a good mother wouldn't. She understood that Jesus has invited her into this parable. She gets to interact with the Son of God. This was a challenge and an offer to her. He also just left this environment where the disciples were like dogging him, so he's like, I'm going to see if she can understand her reply. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, she says this, yes, Lord, but the puppies eat from the table too, and I am here for mine. I don't know how you feel about this interaction with Jesus. Some of you might be like, man, that's kind of disrespectful. Really? She's desperate. She's in need. She's like, I know about you. Jesus has told a parable, and this is what I love. I feel like I'm more excited than everyone, but this is what I love. I think this is the first person in the book of Mark who actually gets a parable. Who is the first person to get the parable? An outcast. Someone in the margins, according to Jewish people. Everyone who has it all figured out. And yet here's this woman who by everything about her should not be able to approach Jesus. And she's the one who understands how she saw a need that she could not solve. She saw a person who could solve everything. And my friends, that's it. 
We have things in our life that we cannot solve on our own. It's just bigger than us. It's beyond us. Until we recognize that and admit that, moments of forgiving people, moments of letting go of bitterness, even no matter how hard things have been, I can't do this on my own. God, will you take this from me? She says, Okay, I understand I'm not from Israel. I do not worship the God that the Israelites worship. Therefore, I don't have a place at the table. I accept that. But there's more than enough on that table for everyone in the world, and I need mine now. Who is a fan of this woman at this point? I am. Some of you are like, ah, I am. Why? Because she's like, I want to help my daughter, and she gets Jesus. She's like, I know this is the order, but there's more. There's more than enough. I am unapologetic, Jesus, about asking you, because there's more than enough. Do we believe that? Man, I want you to believe that. God, I can come to you with anything, because there's more than enough. I'm not bothering you. We're not like, God, I know you're busy. I get that old time, Dale, I know you're busy. And I guess if I don't want to meet with you, I'm like, yeah, I'm really busy. No, I don't say that. I'm like, you don't get to determine how busy I am. Let's just talk and figure it out. Because that's what we do. When, I, when you feel like, I don't feel like I can, I'm enough to approach this or to talk to this person, we say, I'm sure you're too busy for me, so I'm going to keep myself on the outside. What Jesus has done is like he's gone into the margins, into these spaces, and he's like, I'm not too busy for you. If you're feeling this morning like, man, God's got a little bit more on his plate than, I, than he cares about to talk to me about, that's a lie. She's like, there's plenty of bread. I want mine. Are you starting to see this story with me about how this is a story about the beauty of the gospel? This is a story that reveals the redemption plan for the world. And this is a story where someone really understands Jesus for the first time. In reflecting on what this woman is doing, author Tim Keller writes this. In Western cultures, we don't have anything like this kind of assertiveness. We only have assertion of our rights. We do not know how to contend unless we're standing up for our rights, standing on our dignity and our goodness, and saying, this is what I am owed. But this woman is not doing that at all. This is rightless assertiveness, something we know little about. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. But here we go. She is saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And I need it now. That's the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel right there. This is remarkable. Jesus replies to her, for such a reply, and this sounds so formal, for such a reply as this, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Other translations has Jesus saying, whoa, that is a really good answer. Done. 
It was a good answer, not because it was trivially correct. It was a good answer because she came to Jesus and showed she believed by stating what was possible through him. I believe this because I know what is possible. Jesus must have loved this interaction. Because finally, someone was like, Jesus, I just know this is possible. A couple observations as we're dialing in. First one. Jesus crosses not just physical boundaries going from one region to another, but crosses ethnic, gender, and family origin boundaries. That is our Savior. He doesn't stay in the confines of a holy space, however that's defined, but he crosses boundaries to go to people. This implies and means, not even implies, it just any kind of separation or segregation in the name of Jesus is just downright wrong. It is just downright evil. Jesus is like, let me show you the opposite. I'm going to those places. And someone's getting saved today. The second observation is that she understood that bread was not just bread. She wasn't deterred or offended by his parable because she's like, you're not talking about dogs. You're talking about bread. There's something different there. Let me show you just one final little thing. It has to do with bread. In John chapter 6, this is a conversation that Jesus is having. He had just provided a bunch of physical bread for like thousands of people. And of course, there's a crowd that's following him again. They said to him, then they asked him, what must we do? What, what must we do to do the work that God requires? The same kind of thing, like how do I get right with God? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. That's it. So they asked, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. This is from Exodus 16. The Israelites are in the middle of the wilderness. Every morning they'd wake up and there'd be bread all around them. It was pretty hard to, like there was nothing there. They'd wake up, there was something there. This must have formed and shaped them for thousands of years. Like, well, you can believe in God when there's a sign. So they're like, can we have something like before? He continues on. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whomever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, we don't need the sign of manna from heaven. Jesus is like, I am the manna from heaven. Jesus says this very interesting thing there that they're so linked that I want you to hear and to consider as we go into a time of response here in a moment. 
He says, those who come to me will never go hungry, which is linked to those who believe in me will never go thirsty. Hungry, thirsty. You can have plenty of food, but if you have nothing to drink, you will still die. You can have plenty to drink, but if you don't have food, you will at some point die. What Jesus is saying if you believe in me, you just believe in me and you're around me and you're like, I kind of believe in that, but you don't come to me. You don't lay down the stuff that you are holding on to. You will feel dead. But if you come to me and you're just like coming and going and coming and going, but you're not believing for something more, you're dead inside. These two things are so linked for all of us to come to him and to believe in something more. To go back on what we talked about last week, we come together and we sing together to believe in something more. My friends, as we gathered for pre-gathering prayer this morning, Somebody shared afterwards to me, like, I just feel like God is saying there's some people coming today who are hanging on to some bitterness. I mean, that could be true of a lot of us. This wasn't meant to be like this huge revelation, but just a reminder. Some of us may have been hanging on to a lack of forgiving people, maybe from our childhood. Maybe this might be a long, long time you've been hanging on to some of this stuff. To come to him and to believe in him is not just an act of intellectual prowess. To come to him is like, Jesus, I know I might be outside of this. I don't have even all the theology correct. I don't even know. I've been hanging on to this, but there's plenty of bread, isn't there? Can I have some? And Jesus is like, yep. So to come to him and to believe in him is into his presence and to believe that there's plenty more for all of us. So what our Syrian, Phoenician, Gentile friend shows us is how these two things should be always intertwined. Instead of skipping these verses that talk about dogs and bread, may they always be interlinked with those who come to me and those who believe in me will be fed and their thirst will be quenched. Let's just take a moment of quiet before God. We take this moment because there's so much noise in this world. I want you to just hear silently before him. Maybe you feel like you're in the margins. Maybe it's not just that you feel it. You have been pushed to the margins, and I am so sorry. May it not be so here anymore. May we see each other. Let God speak to you in these moments if that's what you've experienced here or anywhere.
legitimate hurt. I, I'm not saying like it's the kind of hurt that shouldn't hurt. It, it hurts for good reasons. I've been there. I get there still. Sometimes that hurt and the inability to forgive or let go pulls us into that margin. We're just comfortable there. But there's no life there. There's not food or water as Jesus promised. It's just kind existing I'm going to implore you to let go to say God I believe for more today I believe that even though even though I don't do things right there's plenty of bread and I have some and he's like I got this will you let God have it today and just say God I give you this hurt Desperation is an accelerant for all sorts of things. I want you to be desperate for freedom, desperate from, from, from the hurt. I want you to be desperate for something more, to believe for something more. So when you come to Jesus, he's like, can I just have some because it's going to be more than enough. Father, I pray your blessing upon my friends and my family today. God, may they know without a shadow of a doubt all that you have for them, provide for them. God, may in this space, those who have been marginalized, pushed aside, may that never be so here. May we not just believe for something more, but, but live out something more. God, help us. We love you. In your name, amen. It's good to gather with you all. My encouragement strongly is as you leave today, find someone you don't know. And it's not just a high introduce, because also what you don't know is what, they've, what they're going through or how they have, may have experienced things before. So just look at people in the eyes and go, hi, I'm, thanks for being here today and to see where God is. Let's not leave this space without blessing each other as well. So God bless you. Enjoy each other. Stay dry if that's possible and have a great rest of your day.